Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 34 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So the longer you do this line of work, the more you expect there to be normal. But what really presents itself is that each transition has its own dynamic, its own set of problems. And I'm going to say problems because if you don't go through a transition with at least one problem that seems catastrophic at some point, then you really haven't gone through a transition. There's pretty much always a bump and I can tell clients to expect it, but bumps don't have to derail the process, especially if the buyer and seller love each other and like each other. So in today's tough episode, we're going to talk about a topic that can present a big speed bump. We're going to talk about people involved in a transition. People are humans. Humans have emotions. Humans have other incentives. And people should make the process easier for you, but sometimes they might stir the pot, intentionally or not. So today, who's who of the people in your transition? But before we get going, Mr. Loretto. What's up, girl? Not much, man. That was the longest intro you've ever done. You have a lot that you want to do I, you know, humans <laughs> and me recently. I tell you what, on these transitions, you got to like set them up, especially the sellers. And it starts off the really slow to like let you assist them, but you got to set them up and say this, we're going to have roadblocks and I need you to be sane. Yeah. I need you to allow me to coach you through this process because it's not going to be smooth. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm naturally like a rainbows and butterflies type of person, yeah. but you can't. No, you have to, like, not. be real and just say, this is not going to be fun at times. Yeah. I think you've got more gray hair since you've done <laughs> <laughs> That might be true. So, before we get started, you have had some interesting podcast feedback, yes, and I yes. was like to share it here. Well, while I was here working, when you're out on vacation. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah I was just yeah. eating bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Young and no, the I just, I had to, one of the funniest things I had to share is, so I'm on the phone with this guy and he's kind of one of these poker players. You just can't read him. He's just a little bit dry. And he's asked a question, a couple of different questions, and I, I just like, you know, I don't like to repeat myself. You know, that's why this podcast exists. Exactly. So I'm like, well, do you listen to the podcast? And he just perfectly played me. He's like, well, I mean, I do, but as soon as I hear your voice, I go straight to Christie's. <laughs> <'Cause laughs> I love him. He's like, it just, you know, it sounds like she really knows what she's talking about. <laughs> well played. He's just like, you know, I'm talking to you today because she's out. <laughs> oh my gosh. I loved him. I will forever help you just because I love <laughs> Quick wit. Quick and I wit. Love to be put dry down humor. To like nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I got a call just a few minutes ago that I got off on. We hear this every day, but once upon a time in a lecture, once upon a time in a podcast, I'm like, I put it out there like when it's a really good deal. It's like, don't screw it up. And so it's so cute. Him and the wife are on the call today. It's like, we need to see if Charles thinks this is a don't screw it up. Because if it's a don't screw it up, we need to hang out and put through. Because other than that, I'm kind of ready to move on. I love that it's yes. so true i will it say is. that too i'll be like charles would say don't screw this up yes yes yeah, yeah. it's it's so fun and uh, one more thing too before we get going across forty thousand plays on this Woo-woo. podcast baby Forty thousand. i know we've had a thousand in the last week thousand people playing our show i don't know how that's possible like my fun. husband said i'm surprised one person listens yeah. to you talk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna talk today about the players in your transition the who's who but i think it's important to know overall with every person we talk about today this goes for us included if we are so lucky to help you in your transition there has to be communication and education about why you are engaging whomever it is. 
If you are going to engage someone to help you in the transition, you need to understand what they're going to do for you and why you are engaging them. You need to have a clear understanding of that so that you can not only have that in your head, but you can communicate that to whomever it is and say, this is what I am needing from you. This is what I'm wanting from you. And these are the other people that I have on my team. And this is what I've tasked them with. And then those people should all work collectively together without ego and without vying for power to really just help you get to the finish line. At the end of the day, that is the goal. And so if you don't do a good job of communicating that to your people, then failures of communication is kind of your fault. So I've got so many thoughts on this. And when you're in dental school, they always tell you that you need to hire a CPA when you get out and you need to hire a good dental lawyer. I agree with that if you're buying a business out of the gate. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're coming out of school or residency program and you're just going to get some experience. You don't need a lawyer for anything. You don't need a dental CPA to file a basic 1040 tax return. You just don't need that. You Mm -hmm. need to get out of school, get some experience, get some cash, and then find a business or businesses that are available so you can see if this makes sense to see if it's a don't mess it up opportunity. Yep, absolutely. So with that, I think you know if it's don't mess it up opportunity early on, right? Right. In today's episode, we're going to kind of go in order of like the process. So first things first, early on in the process, who needs to be involved? And when I say early, I mean I've identified a practice that might be a good fit and I'm trying to navigate both financially, clinically, personally, if this is a good thing for me. First things first is you, the buyer, Buyer, or you, the seller, right? Those are the two people that first and foremost, need to be involved to know, is this the type of practice that I want? And then you need someone to look high, if you're a buyer, to look high level at the financials to say, is this even feasible based upon kind of what you can see high level? And that hopefully is something that's done for free yes. because you aren't really committing. And you might look at 50, 20, 10, 8, depending on where you're looking, deals to try to judge which one is a good one, right? That's very early in the process. You don't want too many people in the mix clouding your opinion and too many opinions can kind of, I think, overcomplicate something that in the beginning should be fairly simple of like, does the cash make sense? And do I like this practice? And is it what I want? Right. And so this would typically, you would think, be the process of bringing that CPA on and bringing that dental attorney. Again, I like dental attorney. I just, I don't know their role yet. This is not ready for them. This is a do you like and love the area? Do you like and love the practice? What's going to be involved? Is there going to be a real estate? What's the cash flows? Was it Delta Dental or not? We need to just high level, just look at it. And so what we try to do in these podcasts is to really educate you on what that process would look like. Now, we don't expect you to be, quote unquote, a CPA to look at this, but at minimum, start surrounding that team. Definitely biased because we want to look at it for you, you know, no cost. But at minimum, if you're going to go to somebody, you're going to go to a dental CPA and ask them to evaluate a couple of these opportunities that you're looking at and to give you an opinion about does this make sense for you. So we're just looking high level, big picture as a buyer. Does this kind of meet some of those early goals? If I purchase it, I can do the work and I'm going to make around $200 or $300 or $400,000, whatever that number is, either before debt or after debt. And I like the area, the guy or gal's not going to stay on. And those are super important, and you really got to evaluate those kind of quickly. Like, they don't take a lot yeah. of time. The reason we offer it for free is we don't spend a lot of time. Right? Mm-hmm. We may prep. You send us a whole bunch of stuff. 
we'll probably prep it in 30 minutes and do a 30 minute call with you to try to give you some insight of what we're thinking. Yeah. This is not to say, yeah, for sure offer this price or for sure offer 10% less. Like we're not at that level of detail. No, no it might be, no. Hey, this price is a no brainer given that what we can even see on the surface. And when we dig, we'll probably find more and there's ton of diligence left to do. But the goal of those calls is just to give you one more piece of data or that review is to one more piece of data to help you make sure it makes sense to move forward. Before we move on to kind of the flip side of this coin, another person that you can have involved here, the lender. I think it's really important if you are starting to think about owning to understand financially where you are is to start conversations with lenders. They're not going to be able to tell you how exactly how much they can give you most of the time. They're not going to be able to like say for sure you're approved for any practice because it's so dependent on the practice, but they can soft pull your credit score. They can see how much you have in liquidity. They can have your experience and say, yeah, you know, you're in a good place to buy a practice. We'll have to see the numbers. It has to be the right one. But if you have a ding on your credit history, you have zero saved, you have a million dollars of student loan debt that's outside of the norm, you can identify maybe areas that maybe you're not as strong on and start to work on those while you try to find the right opportunity, or at least know that it's going to be a hurdle you're going to have to cross. And go back and listen to the episode about what the banks are going to ask for. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a guy this week, he's looking at a practice, the price is going to come about a million five. He's in his residency program, and he has little to no cash. I mean, he's going to need $75,000. He doesn't have $75,000. Mm-hmm. So if he gets $75,000, he's going to need to work, make money, pay tax. And so it may take him a year, year and a half to accumulate that kind of wealth. Yep. You know? So this is part of the expectations, again. And I love the practice he's looking at. Absolutely, like, do not mess it up. It's an awesome deal, but he's going to have to qualify for it. Yeah. And that's it, episode five, if yeah, you're wondering. Well, okay. We put that early yeah. on, <laughs> but we go back to listen and listen to that. But again, we're able to assess, kind of take all those episodes. Basically it's our knowledge to be able to, when we're on those short phone calls with you to tell you, okay, I love it. Don't mess it up. But we're going to need to solve this problem maybe with cash. So I do, I totally agree with you. I love the fact that these lenders will hop on without any cost just mm-hmm. to give some expectations. Let's talk about the flip side of the coin. If you're a seller listening and you're thinking about transition early on in the process, we'd love to have coaching calls with sellers to kind of just talk through what their plan is and what type of person they're looking for, partnership or complete buyout and when that timing makes sense and valuation and all those pieces. What you want to do, though, early on in the process is meet with your financial advisor, CPA, whomever that is, and say, what do I need to be done and actually sell this practice? Is there a certain level of income I need? Am I fine and I can sell it at any point in time? But to start the process, find someone, figure out, have us lay out a deal or someone lay out a set of scenarios and then realize you're unable to commit to it, you risk losing maybe a potentially good buyer, you're invested in the process, and it's disappointing that now financially, personally, you can't go through with the process. So early on, get an idea of that and really make sure that your financial house is in order so that you can then proceed forward with the transition as you intend. Well, it's both financial, but it's also emotional. Oh, of course, yeah. So I met a guy this past weekend and super driver, I mean, Absolute driver and net worth was north of 20 million as a dentist. He's okay. good, done well. So mid 60s, and I just hit him in the face because the guy like that you can't really sell. You got to hit him in the face and tell him, Look, here's your problem. You've got a transition that's coming your way. You don't know when you're ready, but in the end, there's going to be one or five or six things that are going to happen. 
you're going to have a health scare. Your wife is going to tell you she's tired of you working. She wants to see grandkids. There's going to be somebody that you weren't like expecting, you know, come and, mm-hmm. and, and knock on your door. There's going to be just a number of things are going to happen. And it's one of those that you haven't yet experienced. That's the emotional side. Or just, you know, one would be as you just show up at work and go, I'm done. Mm-hmm. There's just an event that happens on that day. It says, I'm financially set. I've been working, 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 and I can do this. And I'm yeah. just so done. And that's when we get these phone calls. We had the one phone call probably a year ago that we transitioned our practice this year. I'm done. Okay, so we put a plan together, and his advisor says, well, you're financially, you can't do it. And he's younger. And then the financial advisor says, until you sell that lake house, until you do this, until you do this, I will believe you, and then we can go to a lesser lifestyle. But for us to get there, we needed to sell the practice, we need to do this, we need to hold on to real estate, get a lease there, we need to earn this income so I can meet all your financial goals. Mentally, he checked the list, and then financially, he didn't. So we had to get to those financial goals. And so it's important for the buyers that are listening that we kind of need to know that. Yeah. We need to know, is this guy just going to bring you in as the associate because they think emotionally, but maybe they're not financially ready or they're financially, but they're not emotionally ready to basically let the baby go. Yeah. It's important. A lot of these coaching calls that we have with you, both buyer and seller. So we understand what all those goals are for both you and whoever it is, your purchaser or somebody that you're going to transition to. Absolutely. So I think the summary there is early on in the process. We don't need a lot of people. It's more of reflection. What are you looking to do? What is your situation and buyers clearly someone to help you kind of overlook the financials from a very, very high level to make sure that you understand what you're looking at and make sure it's worth kind of investing further because the further you get into the process, the more you are probably going to invest in some people to help you. So that leads us to the next people involved in the diligence and negotiation phase of a transition. First and foremost, and a tad self-serving, but preferably you are going to have someone help you who can serve multiple purposes, who's going to help you review the financials and help you negotiate the terms. And when I say terms, I don't just mean price. I mean work back, retreatment, non-compete, anything that's going to financially affect the deal and potentially make the deal go south quickly, you need someone who can help negotiate that. What we often find or hear is a buyer will call us and say, oh, I've got a CPA, so I don't need that part. I just need help negotiating. Well, you can't negotiate unless you understand the financial part. And you can't understand the financial part unless you understand and negotiate those terms because those terms impact that financial picture. We have buyers call us and say, hey, I've got this attorney, so I'm good on the negotiation piece. I just need the financial piece. Well, you cannot separate those two things. So you need someone who can do both. And that is what we do. We'd love it to be us, but it doesn't have to be us. But you need someone who is going to serve both purpose and understand that the right hand and the left hand need to talk to each other. And they're trying to get you to the same goal. Yeah, negotiating a terms could be the guy or guy wants 1500 bucks a day. Fine. The guy or guy wants to sell his building for a million dollars. He wants to lease it for $7,000 a month. The guy or guy wants to stay on for three years. I can give you an example of a $4 million practice with a 40% overhead. What are you going to give the guy or gal? Anything they want. Mm-hmm. Anything you want because it makes so much money. Yeah, we've actually had that. We've actually paid an ortho, I think, five or 600 over anything we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And it mentally was hard for the buyer to be like, okay, I'm going to do that. 
but show them the numbers and it's like the numbers work where I think that there's clearly a ton of good people out there in this industry that help people do and buy businesses but there are a lot of people out there that would say that's obscene it's above what is normal there's no way you should do that right and then that could kill your opportunity to make 40% or 60% of 4 million dollars okay so that is one piece of it anything to add there before no no go ahead so the second is not order of importance or anything but equipment specialist so oftentimes we work with buyers who want to have an equipment specialist come in as part of their diligence and we are 100% fine with that the point of the equipment specialist and the point of when you normally would have them come in is generally after a letter of intent is executed and now we're trying to fine tune and make sure we're okay with the equipment that it's in good working order but more than anything to educate yourself about what your future is going to look like like is sterilization equipment probably two years out from needing to be replaced you want to go computer and digital and we've already incorporated that in the price or that's already been taken care of now we just need to quote what it's going to cost i think it's rare in my experience that you're going to have someone come in prior to an offer to help figure out what you're going to actually offer unless it's clear that maybe everything needs to be a super old office right. and you really need to understand some costs before you can but, put an but offer then even that if it's just the worst outdated equipment on the planet if it's some Again, a million two practice with some fifty percent over it. It makes six hundred thousand. We can borrow another hundred and fifty yeah. to two hundred grand to make the place look magical. Yeah. So we can't just get bent up on this whole like it needs this equipment and that equipment. To me, the biggest thing is when we get the equipment specialists involved, and it is a no-brainer decision. Tell the equipment specialist, dude, I will buy you as much equipment as we need here. But I need to buy this practice. It's got amazing cash flow. I'm going to reinvest in business. What I need for you to do today is the following. Just to make sure this stuff works, it's functional. Mm-hmm. Some of the most basic immediate needs are going to be this computer system, this integral scanner, this and that. Let's start with that. And then I'd like to move and maybe do the tour of your Shine Patterson Benco facilities. And we're going to have you know my wish list. But please help me make a good decision with this. A lot of times, some of these equipment specialists and sometimes freaking bankers, sometimes this, they get all in your business and all of a sudden they're trying to be the consultant of they wouldn't buy this or that. And maybe they got a different viewpoint. They're trying to get you to do a startup or something. I don't know because a startup's going to be a higher return on their investment. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to know to manage these people. And to set them up, I think you did a great job of saying that in the opening, is letting this person know, I like the business, and all I need from you is the following. If you do a good job, I'm going to come back and purchase. But you're in charge of that relationship. Absolutely. And I think if it is an older practice and maybe they've agreed to give you a concession for X, Y, or Z, or you're going to be using this to make an ask off of the purchase price, then we highly recommend you getting two quotes from that Benco or Shine or right. Patterson person. One that's a, hey, these are things that I absolutely need and are without question. And these are things that I want or wish for. Yeah. And know that you're not getting dollar for dollar on either of those lists. Yeah. It's rare ever that you're going to get that. So I'm just smiling because I just thought of a story is my seller listened to this and so when the buyer offered a price that was less than the seller he goes duh you tell me that in your podcast <laughs> I've got outdated stuff I know but it worked Charles and so I'd expected that they were offering $75,000 less that's why I accepted it and he was a hard driving seller 
I mean, very, very particular. Logical. Yes. We earn your money. (laughs) On most of them. (laughs) So another area that we get questions on is the chart audit. So it's clearly part of almost every buyer's diligence. At some point in time, they're going to go review charts. We get questions on whether or not they need to engage a consultant to help them with a chart audit. I would say in my experience, let me know if you agree with this, probably five, maybe 10% of our buyers have ever engaged someone, probably closer to 5%, to have someone help with a chart audit. We have worked with people, we have resources, we have recommendations on how to do those chart audits that we share with our buyers. But to actually engage someone to come help you do a chart audit, unless you are concerned, you have a specific concern that's unique to your transition, maybe it's completely paper and they've never thrown away one chart in 30 years and you've got 10,000 charts, then you're trying to figure out what's active and what's not. If there's something clinically you're worried about, maybe there's a reason to hire someone. Maybe that is some instance. But in that case, it's, hey, here's why I'm hiring you. Help me with this chart audit. And this is all I'm needing. And if it goes well, when I close and get situated, I might have you back to work so on other things. Let me things. give you an example of somebody that we did recommend. It was such a outdated practice. I mean, I'm talking about like 30 plus year outdated, thousands and thousands of charts. And this guy is just doing free dentistry for people in the community because he just wanted to and he could. And sticky notes on everything and pencil this and that. And so to me, when we purchased this practice, it really required a consultant to have kind of the boots on the ground. Literally, what we had the consultant do is not just look at the chart audit, but they did kind of an interview of even the staff and just to really get a sense of what's going on. Same thing, hey, consultant, we're going to buy the practice. Chances are we'll probably engage you to really help in the transition, Mm -hmm. but let's don't try to sell me the $40,000 deal now and everything else you're going to do for me. It's mainly just for the chart audit and then to give me a couple of opportunities. I really wanted that for my personal benefit that we're guiding this person to buy this practice that was much older. So I get the chart audit and I get a little glimpse of what the opportunity is if that consultant was able to consult both of us. And it turned out to be an amazing transition. 28, 29-year-old bought this 80-something-year-old guy's practice, and it's done very, very well. Yeah, that's a great example. Another thing that you had mentioned, and I didn't think of this, but the broker. Broker is another person uh, from a buyer's perspective that you will have to deal with at this phase. And maybe early on, but more than likely in kind of this meat of the transition, you're going to work with a broker a lot. Not all brokers are created equal. No, and sometimes brokers have other hidden agendas or other people that they want to work with. They're, they're compensated in different ways. And so you just can't get offended on this yeah. process. If you're talking with them, they're not calling you back. I don't know. It's just one of the reasons I think we got in this game is that it was a little frustrating dealing with brokers. And so again, you have to know what you have. It, again, no brainer deal. Then you need to kind of suck it up to the broker if that's your only connection. I personally, I try to remove the broker. I do a lot of coaching calls with my buyers to try to remove the broker. I, if you can build a relationship with that seller after the broker makes the introduction, I mean, from the calls and the text messages afterwards, all the handwritten stuff and the gifts that you show up with before and after you're setting up all your other appointments and kind of remove the old guy broker out. I love it. Yeah. Because now you've got a personal connection with that seller, but they're a player to be dealt with. And sometimes they're, I'll say it, they're hard asses sometimes to deal with. Sometimes they're super flexible for the most part. They kind of force you to put the letter of intent in without seeing the financials. It's this way or the highway. This is, you don't know this market in Seattle. You don't know this market in Boston. You don't know blah, blah, blah. So just 
give me the letter of intent and we'll deal with you later. There's seven other people. I think one of the things on the those early stages of the people getting involved just need to kind of see what we're looking at. And I think we're practicing in Austin, Texas, and a guy was young. He was just out of dental school. I'm like, dude, you're not going to get this deal. There's seven to eight other people that for sure are going to get this. And so for sure, you want to talk to the broker, but they're not going to sell. You're, you're not going to be able to get a loan for at least a year. Yeah, no. And I think it's important too that, I mean, there are good brokers out there, but I think it's one of those things where you're not cutting them out where they're not helping the process because clearly that's why the sellers engage them. But there are certain brokers who don't want you to talk to the seller without them being there. They don't want you to visit with them. You can't have their personal email or right. whatever it is, right? At the end of the day, after this transition closes, you're never going to talk to that broker again. And the relationship has to be between you and the buyer and seller. And so I know it's just a change and a difference in philosophy, but you know, when we represent sellers, like we highly encourage buyers and sellers to talk to each other. Now that doesn't mean we don't coach them on what not to say and what to say and what's appropriate to talk about because there are things and there are reasons why people hire us on either side, right? It's to facilitate the negotiations and talk about numbers, but there's a relationship piece of this that very much matters too. So buying goodwill. Oh yeah. You're buying. So you need to have that established relationship with them because the end, you need to keep the seller happy because you can't just dictate this is what we're doing and this and that. And you become kind of the, they're the easygoing seller and you kind of take advantage of them as a buyer. And next thing you know, you're buying a practice and then they're kind of ticked off. That goodwill's not gonna be there with the patients and with the team. Yeah. Final person we're going to talk about in this section is the dental-specific attorney. So clearly dental-specific, very important. But the attorney is going to come in at the end of the process. So the attorney is going to come in when the legal documents have been drafted in accordance to the terms. And you're going to give that letter of intent or those terms over to the attorney with the document, if you're the buyer, that the seller has provided you and say, here's the document, here's the terms we agreed to. Can you make sure that this is what is written? And can you also look at the legal pieces of this and make sure that I'm covered. And that's the instructions you're giving them. Not, hey, renegotiate these terms and this is what I've agreed to. Now, if they want to educate you on other areas of the contract, fine. And do that in collaboration with the rest of your team. Fantastic. They're super important in this process. They're critical. You have to have one. But what is their role and why are they getting involved? And that's important. at the 11th hour. It's so late and so many times I see people come to us and they've, oh, we already got the attorney. Like, well, why? You're not far enough long to have the attorney. I don't understand. Well, you know, he has a fine fee of $5,000 and... He's going to review the lease and this and that. I've already paid him 2500 and this is the second one he's looking at. You know, it's just, okay, but I don't know if we're going to do this deal or not. You know? <laughs> Let's start back at ground zero. Yeah. Another area that people often get caught up before we've reached that point is the real estate. Yes. So we get a lot of questions about the real estate, which is another area. It can go under diligence, but I feel like it's its own separate, unique conversation because real estate is super unique. It's much more black and white than a transition as far as value goes. It is worth a certain amount and a bank's going to get an appraisal and that's the amount you should pay for it. Rent, yeah, there's a range, but there's a fair market value of rent and there are pieces that you can negotiate. A lot of the questions we get is, who do I need to hire to help me negotiate this lease? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm going to say that I would say 95% of our buyers, single owner, right? The seller owns the building. They're not hiring a lease negotiator, Right. right? They're having the attorney review the lease. They're looking at the terms. They're understanding what they're going to be offering. In the rare instance that you are leasing a space from a big, huge landlord and super complicated lease, and there's a lot of negotiating points, 
it may make sense to hire someone to negotiate your lease. But again, why are you hiring them and what are you telling them to do? Oftentimes these lease negotiators will take a percentage of whatever your total lease rate is. Their motivation might not align with what you want it to be. I mean, I always go back to this. If we do not sell the practice, the real estate doesn't matter. Right. (laughs) So if you ruin the deal because you get in a big tiff over the real estate, the practice doesn't sell. And what's our ultimate goal here? We had a client probably like two years ago and she backed away from the practice because the seller of the real estate wanted like three or 400% of what its true value. It was just so silly. It was like, he thought it was a Taj Mahal and it wasn't, but that was clear reason for her to back away from the practice. So again, we're not saying it doesn't matter, but why are you going to pay someone else when you could do something? You just got to understand what you're doing. I mean, if you got the real estate in the commercial real estate area for medical and dental in that area, $17 a foot. I mean, there's comps. It's 17 a foot. It's 3,000 square feet, 3,000 times 17, divide by 12. That's your number. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about is the rent. And if the rent is five or $6,000 or whatever it is, and you're going to get into the last minute of going to get a lease negotiator, and all of a sudden you get it for sixteen fifty a foot, but the seller is ticked because now they're paying 6% commission fees, and your intent was to purchase the real estate in the first place, then what are we doing here? Let's see the big picture of what we're doing. I agree that lease negotiators are absolutely critical on our startup locations. That's a no-brainer. Some big corporate entity that owns it, 50-page lease agreement that's complicated, I 100%. But when you, the buyer and seller, you have come together and you like and love the real estate together because that's where you're going to work, I just think that we need to be cautious about bringing some of these real estate people in that are commission-driven to quote-unquote solve us. I mean... We go back to the basics, and the basics are this. What is it gross? million bucks. What is it net? $450,000. What is it net after debt service? $375,000. Is the seller going to work back in the practice? No. Is the lease involved in that overhead? Yes. So we've already built the lease in. And then how much would it benefit us if we purchase the real estate? Is that going to lower my cost in, as far as the rent payment? Typically it does. So we are very, very much pro becoming an owner in that real estate. So we're going to look at one of these many, many steps when you're purchasing a business. Is the guy or guy going to stay around? And what are we doing with the real estate? And if it's a crappy piece of real estate, I want a low lease term. If it's an awesome piece of real estate, I want to look how to purchase it. And if it's an awesome piece of real estate that the guy doesn't want to sell it because they want to make a little real income, okay, how great of a deal is it? Is it a no-brainer practice? Guess what we're doing? We're signing a 10-year lease. And then about year eight, if that guy doesn't want to sell, typically guys, if they don't want to sell us the real estate, guess what your advisor's going to tell you to do? Go build a building. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the route that we're going to take you. Yeah. But i got to close that practice first. First and foremost, we've got to become an owner. Absolutely. So... That leads us to, hopefully, if all of that goes well, then we close. And then we need people for operations. And we talk about this because we need to get those people in place before we close, ideally. My rule and what I kind of tell clients is you need the ability to pay your staff, collect money from patients, swipe credit cards, 
when you close. And so all of those things need to get into place probably 30 to 45 days before you close, which means you're going to start having to interview those people and know who's on your team before you're signing on the papers and actually taking the keys. There's not a ton of these people. There's a lot of people you're going to need in your world as an owner. So we're not trying to cover the whole gamut here, just those big pieces. So first and foremost, you're going to need CPA or CPAs, right? And I say that because CPAs, much like a dentist, it can be lots of different types of dentists. You can be a lot of different types of CPAs. So you need someone who does your accounting, right? And when I say that, I mean prepares your financial statements from your bookkeeping. And then you need someone to actually file a tax return, okay? So that's that's one type. That can be one person. It can be two people. And then you're going to need a financial advisor or a financial planner, which is another type of CPA, You can have one person or one firm do all three of those things, or you can have a financial advisor and maybe additional local CPA. Clearly, our affiliate, Kane Waters, is one that can do all three of those functions, and there are benefits of that. But having those people on your team is critical, again, to setting yourself up to be educated about what you've bought what you're buying, what you're running now, and being able to be fluid and move and flexible, improve upon this big asset that you've just purchased. So first and foremost, good chart of accounts so I can manage yeah, your business. Clearly. And three, four hundred bucks a month is what you should anticipate there. Somebody is doing the bookkeeping and somebody's reconciling that, step one. Step two, you need a financial advisor and you need a tax advisor. Well, you need a financial advisor when you make a lot of money. If you make no money, you don't really need a financial advisor. But anytime you're making three hundred plus thousand dollars a year, you need a financial advisor and you need a tax advisor because those mm-hmm. two go hand in hand. And so clearly, you'll need good tax planning because now all of a sudden you're in a high tax burden. Clearly, you're going to need a financial advisor because one of the ways you combat taxes is through having a pension plan, which hopefully your financial advisor is working in conjunction with your tax advisor. And then as Christy mentioned, just making sure that your credit card merchant services and the payroll all quarterback like way before the process. She's got these long checklists of things that we take each of these buyers through, but it's so important just to have some key people like ready to roll, push the trigger the higher way. Another consultant is a dental consultant. Sometimes we'll recommend dental consultants based on you need new branding. Maybe it's because your new patient flow is low. Maybe it's because you're purchasing a big office and you need just overall efficiencies of operation. Maybe it's part of those charts. Maybe it's, it's helping you with equipment specialists that specializes in taking you digital. Like there's going to be several times that during this process we can see or you can see you're going to need something. And so hopefully that's where we can kind of steer you in that right direction because having the right people as far as the operations set up is super key when we hit closing. When we're at close, I mean, we just need to have all the right people put together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be a learning curve. I mean, the first few months are just a fire hose of information of just kind of learning new processes and people and systems and doing all the checklists from closing and all the new people on your team. But know that all of that settles down. And the goal in those first few months are just educating yourself so that you can run your business and know what's going on and knowing that the people that you've hired are are doing their job and you trust them. So as you can see, there are a lot of players and sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen can make things more chaotic. A good team should educate you about what you're proposing or what they're proposing that you're doing, and they should stick to their area of specialty. If it's not what I do, I hope that I refer you to someone who can do it better than I can, because ultimately this is about you. They should help you execute an action, remove the emotion, not add to it. We've definitely seen transitions go sideways because of people 
people who won't stick to their post. So make sure that people are representing you are reflections of you and stand firm in your expectations of them. Because at the end of the day, all comes back to communication. (laughs) So that's it for today and for 2019. Wow. I know. We'll be back in early January, a new decade. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for listening along today. And remember to subscribe to Transition Talk. And as always, like us on social media. Have a great week. Until next time. Thanks, guys.